Travel back through your memories to one of the first times you used a computer. Maybe it was figuring out what the heck you could do with that unassuming DOS prompt. Maybe it was troubleshooting a sound card or figuring out how to get online and navigate a BBS. Maybe it was even installing your first Linux distribution and learning how to add software from the command line. So my aunt is a mixed media artist. And several years ago, I taught her some super basic things that we all take for granted. What a right click of the mouse does, how to connect to Wi-Fi, how to use Gmail. I built her a basic website and showed her how to use it. She took those simple lessons and kept digging, kept learning. Now she's an absolute beast on social media. She's teaching online classes. She has exploded her audience, her art, and her income. Someone who once rejected the need for a computer at all, and now she gets like three times the engagement I get on Facebook. I'm not jealous. (laughs) Seriously, though, you never know what doors you're going to swing wide open for people. A helpful tweet, a response to someone having issues in a forum or on Telegram, a link or screenshot showing someone how to overcome the problem they've been wrestling with, linking a guide on how to boot a live USB. The examples, of course, are endless, but so are the possibilities. And those possibilities are what this show is all about. This is Linux for Everyone, Episode 2. Welcome home. Hey everybody, Jason here. Welcome to episode two. I want to start this off on a really personal, grateful note. Um, So not only has this show surpassed 2,300 downloads with only one proper episode, but the amount of enthusiasm and encouragement you guys have thrown out into the world has been incredible. And I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to anyone who has shared the show, listened to the show, engaged with us um, over at the awesome Linux for Everyone Telegram group, or on Twitter, or via email, or wherever your Linux community and fellow geeks hang out. This has been an incredible ride so far, and we're just getting warmed up. On that note, this is a jam-packed episode. I'm going to be talking to Connor Murphy, one of the hosts of the Linux Lads podcast. I'm going to ask him about his Linux journey and what he thought about Endeavor OS. Later on, you're going to hear from Liam Daw, the creator of GamingOnLinux.com. He's got a a thing to share with you that I think you'll enjoy. And we'll close out the show with another song from The Source. But first, let's get into our weekly discovery. This one came to my attention courtesy of the Linux for Everyone Telegram group, and it is called Gwake, kind of like Quake, but Gwake, G-U-A-K-E. And this is a super simple top-down terminal for GNOME. 
So you basically install it, you hit F12, and terminal drops down, you enter your commands, hit F12 again, it disappears, but of course continues to run in the background. So um, if you're doing any kind of lengthy compiling or a system update or something like that, it's just, it's a really nice time saver. It kind of is perfect for that GNOME style workflow where you want just Windows out of your way. So it's really nice because you can simply install it and use it. But if you really want to dig into it and tweak, there are dozens of built-in themes. There are features like Quick Open, which lets you control-click any file in your file browser and open that in your text editor just with a control-click. It's it's wonderful, really. Um, anytime I think of something, I can just hit F12 and issue that command or do a search or whatever I need to do. And I'm sure that people who really embrace the command line even more than I do will find exponentially more use for it. So uh, it is packaged in Fedora, Debian, Ubuntu, and Arch Linux. If it's not in your repositories, it's very easy to get and install. You can find it at guake.org. That's G-U-A-K-E dot org. So before we all jump into my chat with Connor... I wanted to tell you about uh, how you can find Linux for Everyone and the community all over social media. It's really simple. It's Linux, the number four, everyone on Telegram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And beyond that, I just have one favor to ask you guys. Now, I know a lot of you probably don't use uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, but if you do, and if you're so inclined, I would love to have you leave a review for the show there, either just a star rating or a full review, because getting visibility on somewhere like iTunes makes a big, big difference in uh, podcast visibility. And as a result, it, it could bring visibility to more people who are curious about Linux. So if you guys feel like doing that, I would very much appreciate it. Okay. We're already about ah, seven, eight minutes in, and we have a lot of ground to cover. So let's jump into the Community Spotlight and Endeavor OS with Connor Murphy. Well, Connor, thank you so much for being my first guest. Secretly, I always wanted to have someone with an Irish accent on the show. So, I mean, to, to have that scratched off the bucket list already is amazing. No problem at all. And I will do this stereotypical, well, diddly dean potatoes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be plenty of requests and there's probably people in the audience going, yes, he did it. So in addition to chatting with me about Endeavor OS in a few minutes, this also kind of doubles as my first community spotlight. What are you doing in the Linux world right now? So currently I am on a podcast called Linux Louds. And I also am the community manager for our uh, local Linux user group. Um, we've decided to rebrand and call it a Linux community because we felt that uh, calling it a log, a Linux user group, was not really the direction where we wanted it to go in. So we found community was a better word for being more open and welcoming. That is on Meetup and we do regular meetings twice a month, and as well as doing the Linux Lads podcast uh, twice a month. Additional to that, anytime there's a convenient 
conference or something like that i always try to go to a community conference try to interact with people online twitter telegram as much as possible that's really interesting that you guys decided to switch up the name um because that's all i've ever heard is lugs you know linux user groups and i haven't ever been to one i'm looking i'm very much looking forward to changing that but my first impression of those groups has always been these are hardcore Linux veterans. So have you seen a lot of new users coming into the group? It's certainly been a mixed bag. I have noticed that projecting that um, sense of new users are welcome. And anytime that I'm posting about a new event on Twitter, um, I always say that if you're curious about Linux, if you're new to Linux, feel free to come along. Do not feel intimidated. And recently we were actually at a, the Dublin Maker Fair. So a Maker Fair and we were showcasing Raspberry Pis and uh, laptops running Linux and a lot of kids. And we were showing the Minecraft Pi edition and inevitably all the kids were going, yeah, 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 don't care. We just want to play Minecraft. <laughs> like, so, right. They don't care the- what device it's on or what <laughs> operating system, right? Exactly. Uh, like it was, we did the whole thing of, so what's interesting here to see uh, Minecraft being played is this small credit card size computer. They're like, yeah, 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 don't care. Give us Minecraft. So <laughs> we find that we were kind of hanging back and then speaking to the parents and saying, do you see the, 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 like your son or daughter is playing Minecraft at the moment? What's interesting here is they're pl- it's being played off this small device that's next to the monitor. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And we're like, and this is a really inexpensive entry-level computer, 35, 40 bucks or something like that, including the, the case and whatnot. And you could be teaching your son or daughter about computers, about coding, because kids break things, rather than giving them a lend of your precious laptop you could say well we could purchase this uh, 35 dollar computer and let them have at it with watching youtube and watching netflix or whatever they want to do and if they break it it's an inexpensive replacement so the real takeaway here is that minecraft is the trojan horse i was going to say it's the drug to get them hooked but no that's bad analogy for kids well let's shift gears here a little bit what made you switch over to Linux in the first place? Was it was it any one thing? And did it did it just happen overnight? Or I mean what's what is your story? Uh I wouldn't wouldn't say overnight. Uh, the first introduction to Linux I ever had was back in two thousand and six, Ubuntu six oh six and I was in first year in university and it was in a computer science course, so naturally the people there would have been quite technology literate uh, or tech savvy. They were literally passing around a CD and says, there's this thing called Ubuntu. Some some guys were literally not even going through the live image, were literally just wiping and installing right there and there with their with their laptop that they were because they're like, hey, we, we like experimenting we like living on the edge but <laughs> yeah I guess so i remember that just kind of put a little seed of curiosity in in my brain and i went home and i kind of googled and i looked up screenshots of uh, ubuntu to put uh, listeners in the kind of the minds space of it ubuntu back then was gnome 2 with your taskbar at the top and taskbar at the bottom brown background so this was ubuntu during its brown era 
and now it's in its pur- purple, <laughs> yeah, purpley era. Um, but back then it was in its brown era. And for me, being familiar with the Windows layout, my perception of uh, GNOME two was that it was a bit Mac for me. I've I've since changed my mind, but they just put you back in what my mindset was at the time, and it's like googling around saying, "Is there something that's like Ubuntu but is kind of Windows laid out?" And came across Kubuntu because you know uh, KDE three at the time had uh, the taskbar at the bottom and your menu uh, at the bottom left, so uh, it's kind of vaguely Windows reminiscent of it. So uh found out that they had an address and they were posting out free CDs. So ordered one CD and five came in the post. Um, of course. Share the love. Share the love, exactly. I, I would imagine that that is their, their strategy at the time is if we if we send them a couple of CDs, he'll inevitably start giving them out to his friends. And of course, as soon as I installed it on my computer, rebooted, did not detect the wireless. So <laughs> didn't get off to a great start. From 2006, it was the kind of thing of, it was in the back of my mind. I I knew I, I went back to, to Windows because that is what was familiar with. That is what worked on my hardware. But occasionally, I would, uh, because I, I would kind of still be keeping an eye on RSS feeds and any time that Ubuntu would come up and say, oh, there's a new version of Ubuntu. I was like, oh, I, I might actually try that out. And... Sometimes I'll try it out for literally a day and think, no, it's it's not at the level where I want it yet. Sometimes I would even try it out for a month or or two months. But inevitably, something would always bring me back to Windows, where where it's uh, OpenOffice at the time was not up to speed with Microsoft Office, uh, or there was a specific program that I needed to go back onto uh, Microsoft Windows in order to run or something, or something college or university related that just wouldn't work on Linux. And I, I inevitably just wiped my computer and went back onto it. So the, I was, I wasn't adverse to the whole nuke and pave thing of, I was nuke and paving Windows XP and putting Ubuntu on, um, and so much so when the Windows 7 betas were coming out, I was, I I was downloading the ISOs of the Windows 7 betas and putting that on my computer. So I was always a a kind of a curious person. Um, but full time, I probably have been full time on all of my, personal computers for about two or three years now so this seed was planted 13 years ago and there was something something within you that that made you want to keep coming back to it were you looking for an alternative to windows was it something about windows that was putting you off or was it just curiosity it was a mixture of curiosity to use your words but also uh, customization customizability that it it felt more free to me in terms of I can do with my computer whatever I want to do with my computer. If I'm experimenting and I end up on an absolute garish theme, that's that's fine because that's that's your that's your freedom, that's your the customiz- customizability of the operating system. 
if you're like yeah maybe that's a bit too much but you you know it's 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 exciting so wait wait a minute i can change this up i can do whatever i want with it that aspect of it is what kept me coming back rather than i perceived windows to be a bit too stale in terms of the usability in terms of sure it it was what i was familiar with because that's what I grew grew up using, but I found it to be stagnating in innovation. And for me, Windows Seven was peak Windows. It's gone de- severely downhill since. I would also strongly agree with that. That, that Windows Seven was peak Windows. You know, Windows Eight was a, a UI disaster, and of course, Windows Ten. Um, it's had its problems with updates and and uh, telemetry and privacy and all of that. So. Well, yours is yours is a very interesting origin story. I really appreciate it because I I'm glad you know, it's interesting. It is because the most people I talk to, it seems to be a conscious decision that they made. I'm done with Windows, and again, that's just my world. That's just my worldview and the people that I'm surrounded by. But it really took you a while to to finally make that full time transition, and I think that's a that's a healthy thing. So it seems like everyone has been talking about Endeavor OS. It is certainly the new hotness, I will say. And when when it was announced, it certainly piqued my interest because I have been an Anticos OS user in the past. It was installed on my personal computer at the time when when the Anticos transition was announced and then when Endeavor OS was announced. So hence my tweet at the time saying... Can I upgrade from Antigos to Endeavor OS? <laughs> and they, they helped you out with that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They, they provided a script and the script went swimmingly. Yeah, I've noticed that already out of the gate, they have been really, really helpful to the community. Uh, for example, Zeb from Destination Linux, he was having trouble getting Endeavor OS booting up properly uh, because he has a, a much newer NVIDIA RTX 2080 Ti graphics card. And so one of the devs like jumped into the forum and made him a custom ISO to try out, and it worked brilliantly. Now they're going to incorporate that into the next stable... Uh, well, don't quote me on that, but one of the next releases of Endeavor OS. That is fantastic to see. The personal attention that they're giving is is really a reflection, I think, of what Endeavor OS stands for. Let me give people a little bit of background, just because I know there are a lot of listeners who are fairly new to Linux, and they might be going, what does all this mean? So Antergos was a Linux distribution based on Arch Linux. And it was sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, Connor, but it was sort of meant as an easier gateway into Arch Linux, right? Because it's notoriously one of the most difficult to get installed. It's all command line based. It's very lengthy. It's a very step-by-step process, which gives you complete control over every single driver and package that you're putting on your system. But it's not easy to do. For people who see it as an as an intellectual challenge or for people who want the ultimate amount of customization, certainly do install Arch from scratch and um, go through the Arch user guide, the Arch install guide. It will teach you a lot about the the Linux operating system and how things interact with each other, as in you have to install your desktop environment, you have to install this daemon for to get your wireless to work, you have to install this other daemon to get your audio to work. 
all of that which is usually handled for you with pretty much any other distribution your your ubuntu's your debian's your fedoras and so on and so forth antigos was this whole thing of it's very close to vanilla upstream arch in terms of its packages but it's just arch but easy to install it has a graphical installer you can Take a box and say, I want access to the AUR. Take a box and say, I don't want Cinnamon, or, or, or I want Cinnamon, or I want KDE. Uh, take another box and say, I want access to the AUR. I want access to print support. I want access to accessibility support um, for people who are visually impaired and, and so on. Um, all of that was just really easy. It was just box ticks in the graphical installer. And a few months ago, Antergos closed up shop because it was basically more work than they could handle. And then a few people from that community kind of rose up and said, well, we don't want this um, this community to die and fade away. We want to have something that is that gateway to, to pure Arch Linux. An interesting thing has happened with Endeavor OS. It's it's only been out. The stable release has only been out a couple weeks and you keep seeing people uh, in the press and YouTube and, and, and podcasts saying that it is a replacement to Antergos. And even in my Forbes article, I called it a spiritual successor to Antergos. And that was based mainly on a lot of the, the text that you, that you read when you go to the uh, EndeavorOS.com site. But someone in our uh, Linux for Everyone Telegram group actually said, no, it's not. And calling it a successor or a replacement to Antergo sort of degrades the importance of this as its own arch distribution with its own identity. How do you how do you feel about that? I would have to um certainly would have to agree with that in terms of how Endeavor OS is immediately my perception of Endeavor OS is that there there isn't any cross DNA with Antigos other than the fact that they're both based off Arch or they're both very close to upstream Arch. There is a rumor that they're going to be providing other desktop environments further down the line, but at the moment the XFC image is what we have and what we can make any kind of comments on. And also they are making decisions of certain packages. I notice on Endeavor OS, which I have as a live USB on my laptop currently, um, they have a KDE partition manager rather than using the the GNOME partition manager or anything that is would be GTK based. Which you'd imagine that um, using XFCE, they would they would like to keep towards the GTK apps as much as possible. But they seem to be making their own decisions saying, no, we believe, we know we're using XFCE, but we believe that this is the best tool for this job. Another key difference is they don't have any kind of GUI, uh, that's graphical user interface, for installing software. They really want to guide you into using the command line for everything. And their wikis back that up and their forums back that up. Yeah, it just, it, it, it really does have its own identity. You you may laugh, but um, 
I noticed that, and then I up I opened up the command line, and then with a yay command, I installed pa- um, Pamac, which is the old Anticos graphical user installer, <laughs> because that is what I'm used to. I'm t- I tried. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a little bit, and and Arch Arch is tough for me. It is very challenging and difficult for me to wrap my head around. So we basically have an Arch distribution with uh, a Calamari's installer makes the whole process very very simple and a lightly themed xfce environment which which definitely looks better out of the box than your vanilla xfce so kudos to them on that i would say more than light lightly themed but that's my own yeah more than lightly themed (laughs) they call it a lightly themed but yeah it looks so much better than just Uh, no um, i'm not i'm not saying that it's it's in any way unpleasing to the eye i'm saying it's good that it's more than likely themed, but if you literally open up a command line and install um, XFCE desktop, it it is straight out of the Windows 2000 era. Yeah, and I've criticized it for being that bad. It, it takes a lot of work to make it look appealing for me, anyway. Now, this is this is one of the first times that I have dealt in earnest with Pac-Man. So I'm not a typical Arch user, and this is this is the first time that I have used Pac-Man in earnest. And and made a a dedicated attempt to use nothing but Pac-Man to stick to the pure archway, right? Mm-hmm. And my muscle memory is fighting back so hard. And here's a really good example of I know Pac-Man is is great as a package manager, but it's not intuitive at all. You know, I'm a I'm an apt guy, right? Pseudo apt remove, pseudo apt install. These are words that make sense to me. That, that correlate to the action that I'm doing. So I picked out I picked out a few commands for Pac-Man. And check this out. Capital S, small s, is search, a packager program. Capital S by itself is install. Capital S, small y, small u, is upgrade, right? Update, upgrade your system. Yes. That's a capital, that's, that's one capital S involved in searching, installing, and updating, right? So... <laughs> You can see why it's a little yeah. bit confusing to, oh, to I people. Can, I can totally get where you're coming from. That that gripe aside, and a couple other, you know, just tiny bugs that I noticed, I really love some of the stuff they've done. And um, it sounds like you have a lot more experience with Arch than I do. Not, not much more. I mean, considering I think you, you have done, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have done a Arch install by using the, the install guide. I did. I did successfully install Arch the quote proper way. It took me four hours, but then you've done more more than I've ever done. <laughs> but I haven't. But I haven't actually. I haven't actually used the resulting distribution, the resulting desktop. Right. I haven't actually sat and used it on a daily basis. I have done the installs. Um, so this Endeavor OS was the first time that I really spent time using an Arch system. I saw the Arch install guide, and I immediately thought ain't nobody got time for that i i really do suggest do it once do it once because you will like you said earlier you will learn i am of course being facetious but you will learn a lot about the uh, the foundation of your operating system and how the kernel works and how it interacts with your hardware and all that good stuff but did you notice i i thought this was really cool i haven't seen it before it was called an upgrade simulation so the bottom right of the of the panel there's this app called uh kalu or kalu Anytime there's Arch news or any kind of uh, a package update, mm-hmm. it'll it'll flash a little notification on there. Okay, so what you can actually do 
is right-click that, and instead of doing an upgrade, you can do an upgrade simulation. Oh. And it will actually go through the motions, download the packages, find all the dependencies, get all, you know, resolve all the dependencies and things like that. So you can actually see what's going to happen before you actually engage it. Oh, that's clever. It's a really, yeah, it's a really nice touch. What do you think about Endeavor OS as it stands right now? It's a very young distribution. Is it something that you would keep an eye on that you would consider using in the future? It is something I would certainly consider keeping an eye on. Um, if there wasn't for um, a bug during the the installation that I couldn't actually go through with the installation, um, well, once that is overcome, I could totally see myself um, this being a very solid, uh, viable option on my in my distro hopping arsenal. Um, Endeavor OS on Twitter, whoever the um, person behind that is suggested that you go through gparted and wipe or format the hard drive before going through with the the installation i did that and it still doesn't work but this is on my laptop so oh. so <laughs> oh that's a bummer um, so i actually did that i did that i did the gparted process uh, i did a i did a bare metal install on my uh system 76 oryx pro and that worked that method did work but I did have the Calamaris bug like you did also the first time. Other than that, the Calamaris installer seems to be pretty good. Uh, I would give probably give it like a 7 or 8 out of 10. This is just me being my su- subjective opinion, but I actually prefer the... Um, the Antigos installer, just for the ease of the, the toggles. The You want, you want AOR support toggle, you want... Firefox rather than Chromium toggle. You want printing support toggle. Those just simple toggles. Um, for me, that, that that's just a layout that I found was was better. But other than that, seems to be a very solid implementation of a a easy to install Arch distribution. So kudos to Endeavor OS for that. Yeah, and you know I have to say every time I use a distro with XFCE. I am tempted, tempted to make it my main uh, desktop environment. I did a bit of comparing, running the same apps that I typically have open on Pop! OS 1904 and Endeavor OS, right? And this, this detail is what gets me every time. Pop! OS 1904, I fired up YouTube, Spotify, and Telegram, and GNOME was using about three gigabytes of system memory. And, and mind you, they've made serious improvements to the GNOME shell since Ubuntu 18.10. They've, and they've uh, I think, gotten the memory footprint down about 20% between uh, Ubuntu 18.10 and Ubuntu 19.04. And then I fired up the same collection of apps on Endeavor OS with XFCE, and it was using... <laughs> 1.2 gigabytes of system memory, more than, you know... Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that really makes me want to dig into that more because it's there's so many people out there that have these older machines or they're even buying those new $200 laptops that have like 2 gigs of memory or 4 gigs max. And um, that combination of Arch and XFCE where you can just have only what you want on there and it's really lean and exactly what you want 
is uh, is something I want to explore a bit more. Um, somebody recently reached reached out to um, myself and the other Linux Lads podcast hosts on Twitter and suggested. He said he had his second generation i3 with two gigabytes of RAM and suggested what um, Linux distributions he should put on it. And he was saying that Zubuntu was struggling, but that was off a live USB image. So it could have been that it was running off USB 2 or something like that. But the very fact that you're talking about the um, XFC was only using about one gig of RAM. Um, that's certainly a viable option. So, um, and that was one of our suggestions was, was using, uh, Mate or XFC. But certainly, um, my impression when launching things on, on, even on, in this live image is everything is snappy. Everything seems good. Well, anything else, uh, that you want to say about Endeavor OS? Uh, I'm just repeating what I've said previously, where it was interesting that the, they're picking Qt applications alongside their GTK applications, which is an interesting choice. And sometimes the, the theming doesn't quite line up. But uh, other than that, it seems to be pretty solid. I did speak to one of the developers on Twitter, and he said they are shooting for an online installer probably in September-ish. And that will, of course, allow you to uh, pick one or more of up to 10 desktop environments during the installation process. Oh, wow. So that's something to look forward to. And other than that, I would say keep an eye on it. And I say that not just for the distribution itself, but really because of the community that I've seen forming around it. Um, you know, I, I was scoping out their forums and kind of lurking around a bit. And everyone there is just so ridiculously helpful and they're talking about creating a magazine-style newsletter that they send out, teaching people you know, tips and tricks about using the command line and things like that. And they're just really invested in getting people into Arch and getting people into Linux in general. And they're really friendly um, about the whole thing. So another great community that has, that has both formed around this distribution and carried over from Antergos. So definitely keep an eye on it. Without a doubt, um, the whole idea of a very active and very friendly community is something that certainly appeals to me. And I know Jason is not going to toot his own horn, but I find that the Linux for Everyone community is very welcoming, a very friendly community. So kudos to them. I keep saying this, but but this show is because of the community. My success covering Linux at Forbes is because of the community. My knowledge is because of the community. It's it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, a big shout out to everyone in the Telegram group, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, email. All of you guys are, are making a big difference here. And Connor, thank you so much for being my first guest. That is a real special thing to me. And um, it, it's it's been great to get your perspective on things. No problem. No problem at all. Hello listeners, Liam here from Gaming on Linux, butting in for a moment to confess my absolute love for Slay the Spire. Released back in January this year, Slay the Spire is an absolutely magnificent game, one that's equal parts frustrating and exciting. It merges together a deck-building card game with roguelike gameplay to create something that you can easily lose an entire day with. That's happened to me, I've loaded it up and watched as day turns to night, it's absolutely crazy. 
You start by simply picking a character who comes with their own unique deck of cards. And these cards form your attack abilities, your power-ups, your defense. They basically control everything. And you travel through the spire by picking nodes on a map. And these could be a battle, a chance to rest, restore some health, perhaps upgrade a card. There might be a shop, a boss battle, or perhaps even an event where you need to make some choices. The obvious meat of the game, though, is, of course, the turn-based battles. What I especially like about the battles in Slay the Spire is how you know what's happening, as the game communicates really well. You can hover over an enemy, and it'll actually tell you what they're likely to do, and you can see how much health you're likely to lose as well. So it gives you lots of chances to plan ahead. And because it's turn-based, there's no rushing needed either, so you can take a leak, grab a drink, whatever. Another point that's great about Slay the Spire is how it has some fantastic modding support as well. The last time I looked at the Steam Workshop, there were some awesome extras to add in, like an entirely new character with full sets of cards. There's even a mod to change the way you actually play the game to make the cards more like poker, which is pretty amusing. Slay the Spire has actually started a bit of a trend really. Since it came onto the scene, we've seen a lot more games come along with some sort of card-based mechanic. It's just been that popular. I fully expect to see a lot more like this. So to sum it up, it's a turn-based roguelike with some fantastic design work and gameplay that you can enjoy for hours thanks to the random generation. You can come back to it again and again and never get bored. I really do urge you to give Slay the Spire a try. You will not be sorry. Well, I think I'm in a bit of trouble here. I have always been addicted to card-based games like that. And I think I think that my 300 plus hours of Magic the Gathering Arena will attest to that. Liam, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show and introducing us to this amazing sounding game. Uh, you can check out Liam at GamingOnLinux.com. And seriously, he is a machine. Whether it's covering the hardware stuff, developer interviews, gaming news, benchmarks, if you are interested in any facet of Linux gaming, he's probably got it covered for you. So go check him out, GamingOnLinux.com, and on Twitter you can find him at GamingOnLinux. And if you want to hear more of this stuff, let me know, because I'd love to have him back on the show. And we are nearing the end of episode two. I really hope you guys have enjoyed yourselves. I have loved putting this one together. As always, I'm going to take you out with another song from the source. But this time, let's hear an introduction from the artist personally. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Unfa. I'll talk to you on episode three. And in the meantime, take care and take care of each other. Hey, thanks for the introduction, Jason. I'm really happy to be here. Some of you might know me from YouTube. I make tutorials about music production with Linux and free software. And obviously, I also make music. You'll hear one song from my latest full-length album. The album is titled Suppressed, and I hope you'll find a link to it in the show notes. The track is titled Fighting Myself. All instruments and drums are synthesized with Zenatsub FX here. It was composed and mixed in LMMS, and I also did all the vocals and mastering myself in Ardor. All of that was done on Linux using only free and open source plugins and other software. And now, Fighting Myself by Anfa. Enjoy.
You can find it at Guai. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> 